The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all today. Um, I got a question for you, though. Have you ever wanted to go back in time and get a second chance at something or redo something? I'm sure you have. Maybe it was something that you did. Maybe it was something that you said. Maybe it was just something that happened to you and you would put yourself in a different position to change the outcome. It may be something dramatically important in your life. It may be something kind of trivial like your March Madness bracket. Maybe you want to go back and change a few things. I tell myself that every year. You know, don't pick with your heart. I failed. So anyway, that's enough on that. But I read a story this week about a really bad day. At least a few folks certainly had. This was back in February. February 16th, I read this story in the BBC News. It said that there were 1,100 Porsches 189 Bentleys, all brand new, made in Europe. They were put on an ocean liner, sent to come here. And they say no one knows how a fire started on this ship, but I have a sneaking suspicion there's somebody that knows something. They evacuated the crew, and before they could do anything, the ship sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, wasting $155 million worth of luxury vehicles. Now talk about a bad day. Someone lost their job that day, for sure, and needs a do-over. Of course, it would be nice to have a do-over from time to time. Would it be nice also to maybe even know why certain things happened in the past. Wouldn't that be interesting to know that, why things happen? Well, we are in a series looking at the miracles of Jesus, looking at the things that Jesus has done during his life here on earth, as told through Jesus' good friend, John. And so we've been looking at what John has been telling us about Jesus and his life We've seen these miracles, how amazing they are. But John reminds us over and over and over again, he calls these miracles signs. He says, the miracles aren't the thing. The miracles point to the thing. And the miracles point to something very specific about Jesus, who is God. And we've seen a lot of these things. We've seen that Jesus has shown us that he is, he is for us. He is with us. He provides for us. That he gives us hope when there is no hope. And that he is truly over everything in all of creation. That's what his miracles have said. That is quite the resume. And we're only halfway through, John. But could Jesus possibly have a hand over the past? Does he know why things have happened? Could he speak into those things? Could he help us with those things that are already done and over with? Well, the claim is very simple today, but it is quite bold. It is that the light of the world lights up the past. The light of the world 
not only lights up the present, but the past. And what could Jesus possibly do that would show us that? That could demonstrate that that is, in fact, true. Well, we're in John chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 1, and I want you to turn there. If you have a scriptures, if you have the Bible with you, get there. We're going to be walking through this whole chapter, seeing what Jesus does. It starts as this. Jesus was walking along, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. I want you to notice something. Jesus is the initiator. Jesus did the seeing. Jesus noticed somebody that other people avoided. He saw a blind person. And none of this would have happened if Jesus didn't take that initiative, if Jesus didn't first see. And we see that Jesus is walking. Well, where is he walking from and where is he going to? If you were reading the whole book of John, we would have seen in chapter eight that Jesus and his disciples were in the temple in Jerusalem. They were in the big city and it was the Sabbath day and they just caused all kinds of ruckus there in the the temple. He said things, he made claims that he is God and people were a little on edge and so he's walking out of church, essentially. Jesus is on his way out of church where people were gathered and that's where the blind man would have been begging Verse two says, Rabbi, his disciples were there with him. They asked him, why was this man born blind? That's a good question. It's a helpful question. And they continue, they say, was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? You see, they add on this assumption that they have. Well, it has to be because of something that he did or his parents, clearly, because why else would he be blind? Jesus says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus says, you're wrong. There are more options, just the two that you suggest. There is one that you are not understanding that God wants to show his power through this man. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this man. Clearly, they are there right around this guy that he could hear them talking. He wasn't deaf. He just couldn't see. And he speaks to something that this man would have been thinking about for his whole life, every day. Don't you think he was wondering why he was born blind? He would never have chosen that. He suffered his whole life. He was poor because he was blind. And Jesus says, I know why. Because God's going to work. That's a hard thing to swallow when you can't even see the person that's making this claim. But Jesus continues. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then... No one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus makes yet another claim that he is God. I am. He's saying, I am God. That is who God said he was in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I am. I am the light of the world. Again, think about this blind man. He's like, 
I don't care about light. I can't even see. And you're claiming to be the light of the world. What good is that if you can't see the light? It's probably not any good. And then it gets a little strange. Jesus then, verse 6, he spits on the ground and makes mud with his saliva. And then he spreads the mud on the eyes of the blind man. Again, think about this from this man's perspective. This guy pretty much insults him, tells him that he knows why he was born blind, says that he is the light of the world. Great, I can't see. And then he hears, (laughs) what's going on? Okay, you got my attention. Who is doing this? And just so you know, the 13-year-old boy investigation of uh, John chapter 9 asks this question. uh, How much saliva does it take to make mud? (laughs) A little bit. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it's quite a bit. And um, that's not the point here, but it's right there. So you got to ask that question. Um, But this man, what is he thinking? But Jesus says, go wash yourself. Well, of course he's going to go wash himself. That's gross, even if you can't see it. But go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed. But he came back seeing. Okay. Wow. This might be the strangest miracle that Jesus does. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to us. Why would he do this? But it has occurred, and we don't know exactly how Jesus did the miracle. But remember, John was all about telling us these miracles, but he's not about explaining exactly how God did them. He wants us to see something else, and I'll prove it to you. This chapter is all about this. There's 41 verses. There's only two, maybe the first seven, that explain how it happened. And even then, we have all kinds of questions. The vast majority of what we see here explains why. It's so much more important that we know what this means than what actually happened. So what does this miracle mean? What does this mean? That's a good question. Thanks for asking. I think we could ask some of these characters in this story who were there. So let's ask. Let's start with the man's neighbors, the people that were around this man every day, that they would have been right there begging with this man every day. Let's ask them. They surely know. Verse 8, his neighbors and the others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. The people who were with him every day couldn't even decide what they thought happened. They couldn't even figure out if it's the same person. They are not any help because they think this couldn't possibly be what happened. They kind of reject it. There's no way that that is what is true. And so they're thinking, no. And then verse 10, they ask, well, who healed you? What happened? They want to know. 
And so he told them, the man that they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Now an in-depth explanation, but that's his explanation. And then comes my favorite part in the story. These people that know this man was blind from birth say, where is he now? They ask this man for directions. Think about that. This guy has never given directions in his entire life. He was blind. And they're like, well, tell us where he is. Am I the only one who finds that funny? I don't know. I think it's kind of funny that they're asking this man for directions. And they say, well, where is he? And of course, the man says, I don't know. Of course, he he doesn't know. He doesn't know. So we can't ask the neighbors. They don't have much help. Well, who should we ask? Well, we should ask the people in charge, the Pharisees who were there that day. They're really leading the temple. They're leading Israel. And uh, so they take the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, verse 13, because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told them, put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. But some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He is not from God. He is working on the Sabbath day. And others said, how could, this, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion between these Pharisees. So many, myself included, we ask, well, why did Jesus make the mud? What is the deal with the mud? And I think we find out right here. The Pharisees were offended that he made something on the Sabbath. That was his big sin, that Jesus made. He created something. You see, the Pharisees created rules around the rules, God's rules. They didn't want people to break God's rules so much that they made all these rules around the rules. And they knew God's commandments were you're you're not to work on the Sabbath. So everyone knew, you know, you don't go to work and punch your time card on the Sabbath day. Everyone agrees that that is work. But what really is work? And they determined that work would be like if you made something, doesn't matter how big or small it is. And so the fact that Jesus made mud was intentional. He was intentionally riling up, poking the Pharisees on purpose. And we see that, and it made them furious. And so they're checking in on the situation, and they can't even figure out what's going on. They just know that they're mad. This person broke the law, and now he's getting all this attention. They're mad about it. And so then, verse 17, the Pharisees questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man? who healed you. They demand, they want to know what he thinks about this man. But maybe they should stop and think about what they think about this man first. But the man replies, I think he must be a prophet. And it's interesting as you see this man who was blind at first, the first thing he said to his neighbors who did this, he said, well, a man they call Jesus. And now He's been thinking a little longer as the Pharisees question him. And he says, I think he's, he's actually 
He's a prophet. He's a prophet now. So the Pharisees are no help, and this man is starting to have something happen in his heart. So let's not ask the Pharisees. Let's ask somebody else. Let's ask the man's parents. What do they see? What do they think? In verse 18, the Jewish leaders refused to believe the man that had been, he had been blind. They refused to believe that he had been blind and was born that way and that now he could see. So they called in his parents and they asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? And so his parents replied, well, this is our son and that he was definitely born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. We don't know. Ask him, they say. He is old enough to speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So the Pharisees bring in the parents and they begin asking them questions. It's like this little trial is happening now all of a sudden. They're grilling the parents and they just give them basic data we already knew. They add nothing to us. And it's really easy for us to just kick at these parents to think, did they just really leave their son out there like that? They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It'd be easy to rip on these parents, but it is surely something that they regret. Something that they would look back on now or even a few days after this and think, I think we messed up, but so did the disciples. They said something they regret. The neighbors, they couldn't figure it out. Surely they regret what they said. The Pharisees, they were divided. They regret probably what they were doing. These parents are no different, but they were afraid of the people in charge. Why? I mean, I know religious leaders can be very intimidating. <laughs> it was a little different then. Why were they so afraid? Well, it's very clear. Verse 22, it says, as it finishes, they had announced these leaders that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That they were ready to kick out anybody who said Jesus is God. They were hunting for these people and ready to get them out of the synagogue. And that was a huge deal because the synagogue was the center of life. It was the center of the community. It was the center of the week. The Sabbath was the center of it all. It was where commerce happened. It was where social interaction happened. And if you were kicked out, you're ostracized from the whole community. This is a Jewish land, a Jewish community. This is everything to them. And so they just go, well, ask our son. They don't want to get kicked out. They're afraid. So we, we shouldn't ask the man's parents. They're not a lot of help. Maybe we should get the man's final version of what happened. Verse 24, the second time they, the Pharisees, called the man in who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Isn't that ironic. They are so correct. God should get the glory for this. And he absolutely will. After all, they know so much. They know 
all of these things about Jesus. They know that Jesus is, in fact, a sinner. At least they say that because they know their Old Testament so well that there has never been recorded any person who was blind and received sight in the whole Old Testament scriptures. And there are lots of miracles found in here. There were actually even three instances, I don't know if you knew this, of people who were raised from the dead in the Old Testament, but zero instances of people who received sight. This is a big deal because they know what the word says. Exodus 4, verse 11. This is what the Lord said directly to Moses. He said, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, whether they hear or do not hear, whether they see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Only God can give sight to the blind. Only God. But they know Jesus worked on the Sabbath, so we reject all of this. Well, the man is not playing their games. Verse 25, he says, I don't know. I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. What a testimony. This man is as bold as it gets. He was an outcast of all outcasts. And now he's the center of attention. And he is risking it all because he knows he was blind, but now he can see. And so the Pharisees go on attack. They say, well, what did he do? How did he heal you? Look, the man explained, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this man comes from. Correct. <laughs> you don't. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Wow. There's a lot at stake for this man. But he puts it all in the center and knows, even though he's just received something so amazing, he cannot deny what has happened in his life. And so he goes toe to toe with these Pharisees, the most powerful people in the whole land. And what do they do? They say, you were born a total sinner. And they answered, are you trying to teach us? And they throw him out of the synagogue. Just as his parents feared, it is the reality for this man. He is an outcast, he is the center, more popular than ever, and then an outcast immediately probably getting the most serious case of whiplash you could ever imagine. They throw him out. And even the man himself does not have the full perspective of what happened, even though he goes, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and I can see. He still needs help. He is an outcast. He needs help. 
well, did anyone ever think we should ask Jesus? Maybe we should stop asking all these other people and we should ask Jesus what this means. Jesus, why did you do this? What are you trying to say about yourself when you did this for this man? So Jesus, verse 35, when he heard, no one went to ask Jesus. Jesus had to hear what was happening He found the man and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus says, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. The beggar went from calling this man, the man they called Jesus, to a prophet. And then when he was talking with the Pharisees, he said, someone from God did this. And now he says he is the son of man, meaning he is God himself. And he worships him just like he worships God the Father. He progressively saw things differently. This was not just a miracle of Jesus opening his physical eyes. This is a picture of God opening someone's eyes spiritually. And it's amazing. And that is way more important than receiving that physical sight to this man. He would never trade anything in the whole world. He did not need to be afraid of these earthly rulers because he saw exactly who Jesus was and is. And he knew, I'm going to hitch my wagon to him. He opened my eyes physically and spiritually. That it was only the light of the world who could do that. And it was the light of the world who could answer the question that this man was wrestling with his whole life. Why was I born blind? And the answer was so clear. So that God's power could be seen in him. That's what God's doing. And just as this blind man received sight, Jesus shows us that there are so many people that can see, but they cannot see. Sure, they can see the things around them, but they cannot see God. They will not recognize him. They will not see what he's doing and how he's working in the world around us. Verse 39, he says, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. So the only way we can see spiritually is if we admit that we can't we come to him humbly and say, I cannot see God, help me understand. And he says, you're right. You're right. And so we read this whole story, seeing what all these other people think about what happened here in John 9. But the question is, over and over, when we read John, what do you think? Do you believe? What do you think Jesus did on that day? And what does it mean for you? Because John tells us the end of John, John 20, we've said this verse a few times as we've been going through it because you have to know this, that these things are written 
so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is why he wrote this, so that you may continue to believe. Yes, he wrote this so that this man would believe and his disciples would believe, but he wrote it so that you would believe who Jesus is, that he is the light of the world and that he knows why things happened in your life in the past. That's amazing. That is the bold claim. And I am sure more than one of you noticed because more than one of you asked me in the lobby, hey, I noticed you're wearing glasses today, Andrew. That's true. I don't normally wear glasses, but I wore them intentionally today to remind myself that I need correction. I cannot see without help. I can't. Of course, I wish my eyes were better and I didn't need that, but I do. I don't know if you can see these Coke bottles back there, but they're pretty, pretty nice and thick lenses. Um, I need help seeing, but it's so much more than that. It's not just physically. I need help to see God. I am spiritually blind, and I can only see because of Jesus. He has to open that for me. He needs to show me and convict me how I am like these Pharisees that I have weaknesses, that I can be proud, that I can be critical, that I can be angry, just like these Pharisees. But Jesus had to give me sight to see things differently, that I am just a normal person, that I am just a sinner who needs help. I have things in my past that I have done that Jesus is not pleased, and I do not have a right to stand up here and teach the truths of God, but God said, you're going to. I have lots of do-over moments. No $155 million do-over moments, but I have a few. Things about my character, things about how I think. I think often about how God made me. Why did you make me so tall? Why did you make me this way? What is it about me that you wanted to make me this way? The things that have happened. I ask those things, and I'm sure you do too. But God is here right now encouraging us that he is the light of the world, and he doesn't make mistakes. He is here today to light up your past, to encourage you and show you that he can work through your weaknesses, that he made you that way specifically so that he could use you and get the credit. He didn't make me perfect. You are aware that he didn't make you perfect. I know you are. We think about those things. We're critical about ourselves, and it's way much bigger than just needing corrected vision. For me, when I was in middle school and high school, I know it's every young boy's dream to have an extremely high voice when you go through puberty, isn't it? People teased me. I still am sensitive about that. I'm sensitive about my voice. I wish it carried further. People ask me all the time, excuse me, can you speak up? And it try, I try so hard to speak to people clearly. And I was teased about that. But it isn't lost on me 
And I would have never thought this in a million years that Jesus wanted to make me a preacher. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? It's not me. It's because God wanted to use his power through me and demonstrate to me that he's at work and he didn't make any mistakes in me. And that he can use the things that I've done poorly, that I've wronged, to show that he is good and he has grace. Sometimes God just speaks so clearly to us. We may have all kinds of questions about why, God, did this thing happen in my past? Why did you make me this way? Why am I here now? We just can't see it clearly. We need to ask Jesus for the spiritual sight to see that we can take all the stuff in our past and bring it to Jesus today because he will light it up completely. We may not know every reason why certain things have happened, but Jesus was there, and he wants to use them. Again, sometimes he speaks so clearly, we just have to pay attention. It was about 12 days ago, give or take one. I was at Remnant in the morning up in Arcadia, and one way to get my attention if I'm up there, if you want to talk to me, go to the Remnant someday and start reading your Bible. If I see people reading their Bible, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? What are you reading? This person was reading their Bible. And I had just spent some time in the morning reading this passage. What were they reading? This same passage, John 9. I began talking with this person and I know them. And they shared with me about significant challenges in their past and, and some things that had gone on in their life that they have a special needs child. And they were reading this passage and were encouraged deeply and shared their testimony of how they saw God work in power through them and through their child, and that God was at work. I wish I could just pass on an ounce of how much the Holy Spirit encouraged me in that moment. But it was powerful to see God open eyes and give us understanding about the things that maybe we wonder about in this life. God is at work. He is up to something. He wants to take the things that weigh you down off your shoulders because he can do it. Psalm 146 verse 8 says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It is the Lord. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. It is the Lord. God can give you sight. He wants to give you sight. You just have to acknowledge that you are blind and you cannot see him without his help. And so my encouragement to you is what John repeats to us over and over and over again, that there are so many people who do not ask for that help, who do, who do not come to Jesus and say, can you fix my past? Can you speak to my past? Because they are afraid. They're afraid that maybe Jesus can't handle it. They're afraid that he knows too much. Maybe they're the neighbors or the parents or the Pharisees who were afraid 
but Jesus will give sight to the people who say, I was blind and I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I want to see. And so I'm gonna come to you, Jesus, and I'm gonna worship you, Jesus, and trust you with all that stuff in the past because that is who Jesus is. He is the light of the world who will light up the past in your past. And so if you are not afraid today, I invite you to stand up and say, I am blind. Would you stand up with me? I want to pray for you and ask God to give us spiritual sight today, to turn from those things and to say, you can have everything in the past and we give it to you. Let me pray. God, we thank you that we are here and we hear your word and we hear your voice. God, give us sight, correct our vision, not just physically, but spiritually. May you work powerfully in us today, in this moment, and show us that you are good and that you have had plans from the beginning to use our weaknesses, to use our mistakes, to demonstrate your power. May everyone here know that you have their best interest in mind. May they know that although there are so many things that happen in our life that we don't understand why you do. And even if you don't give us a clear answer, God, may in your timing, may you give us sight and may we trust you now in the meantime. Change our lives, help us see things so that we can live like this man did, worshiping you every day. We thank you, Jesus, for coming here, for loving us and shining your light into our past. It's in your name we pray.